Hi, I'm Sarah Wilmore and welcome to my Women's Golf Podcast. In each episode, I will be interviewing a different woman from the golf industry, delving into their careers. I will explore how women have broken down barriers and reveal the untold stories of our sport. So today's guest is English professional golfer Sophie Walker. Sophie played on the ladies' European tour for 10 years in more than 150 events, having turned professional in 2007. She's now one of Sky Sports Golf's main presenters for their ladies' European tour coverage. Outside the studio, Sophie teaches golf and volunteers as an England golf selector. Obviously, you had a really successful career on the ladies' European tour. But um, how did you get into golf originally? I played every sport under the sun as a kid. Uh, come from quite a sporty family. Um, dad liked cricket and football. Mum played squash. Like brother played loads of sports. Um, so we were always just dragged to sports clubs, I suppose. And, and part of that was being taken to the golf club every now and again. Um, my dad was the handicap secretary at the golf club. So it was just one of those things. I would just pop down with him on a Saturday afternoon while he would do the scorecards and that progressed to going for a little walk on the golf course on a Sunday afternoon with him, looking for golf balls and then um, taking a few lessons. Kind of when I got a bit older, more like seven and eight, where you could actually listen to somebody and, and take it all in because... I mean, you do see the child prodigies now, but I do think with golf, you haven't done it from literally a baby. You need to have a skill to listen. So booked in at about eight and nine and then joined the golf club at 10 because you weren't allowed to join the golf club until you were 10 okay. back, back in the day. But thankfully that has changed now. Yeah. So yeah, pretty much my dad. Um, and then I was quite fortunate that a few people in my my school and my class played golf. So um yeah, we just ended up all kind of being down there together in the summer holidays. Yeah, so um, I started playing at a similar age, actually. I had my first golf lessons when I was eight. But um, one thing I found was that there weren't really any other girls playing when I first started. What was your experience of that? Very similar. Um, I was just played with the boys, but... You know, I played football with the boys from a young age and I got to like 12 or 13 and I couldn't play football with them, but I could play golf. So that was a really easy transition for me. Um, and, and they were great. I, I like, because you were just one of them, really. I never, never felt an outsider in that respect there was a couple of girls like um, there was one girl that, that played a bit of golf at the club. Um, and then I went to uh, a junior coaching clinic every Sunday and that was some of the best players in the area went and there were a handful of girls at that. So that was good. But so I didn't really start to see many girls stroke women play golf until I got to a, a higher level. So once I started to play in county stuff, that's when I started to see that there were other girls my age that played golf. What was that experience like for you then? Did you enjoy being able to play with more girls? Honestly, it wasn't great. Um, I remember the county organiser saying to my mum, you do realise Sophie doesn't have any friends at, at the at junior county level, don't you? 
And my mum was like, well, don't worry, she's got lots of actual friends in real life. You know, it was it was quite a. Um, I don't know, maybe it's because there's not that many girls that play. It becomes really competitive. Yeah. Whereas I think in the boys game, there's so many of them that, you know, that there's a different winner all the time. Obviously, there might be a few ones that, that do well, but it's, it was quite, it, I didn't enjoy county golf. I really didn't. Um, and I, I can't lie. It wasn't, it wasn't fun. And when I speak, to, funnily enough, a few of the people that I ended up playing England golf with, and then still know to this day, I used to say to them, God, you're horrible to me when we were younger. And they actually can't remember it. But then when I got to about 15, 16, I was the best in um, England. So I just got my own confidence then and it, it didn't really matter. But I remember thinking, oh, I don't really fancy all this county level stuff. It was, um, yeah, it was a lot of people thinking that they were better than what they were, which was a bit of a shame, really. And, and hopefully, that's changed <laughs> yeah um I mean I've done quite a bit of county golf and you definitely get different experiences um I mean the count I play for Surrey and it's there's a lot of really good players in England that's nationals and it's definitely competitive and getting picked for teams is competitive but I think generally speaking all the girls get on and it is a nice environment to play golf in which is good um, yeah by the time I got into England squads I had the time of my life so it was a huge difference between the county and the and the national level. Did it ever put you off then when you were before you got to that stage of playing for England? Did you ever consider quitting golf or just seeing it more as a sport for fun? No, I just quit county golf, really. Okay. Um, so I never got any county colours. You know, I don't even know if they still do that now. Yeah, they um, do. Yeah, just just didn't represent the team. There's another thing to this, like Lincolnshire, where I grew up, is a huge county. It's a, it's about two two hours long, and I lived at the very north of that county. So for me to go to a county game of a weekend, it it could be a four hour round trip. Wow. Um, and because I didn't like it, you, you can understand why your parents are like, "Well, what are we doing then?" Yeah. <laughs> so. Um, decided just not to play in a lot of county stuff didn't play much county girls played I think I would have played the county championships and stuff like that but as a team never played much and um at a senior like level or women's level could take it or leave it really I, I think if you would speak to a lot of people in the Lincolnshire setup back then I wouldn't I wouldn't say that they um thought much of me but I, I didn't think much of them. So it was, it was, um, I never wanted to quit golf because I still had golf. I still had club golf. And then I had a year where I just literally won everything I looked at at 15. So I just got catapulted into the England setup. So county golf didn't even matter at that point. Obviously you had a successful career with England and then went on to secure your ladies European tour card and, you're on tour for more than 10 years, played in over 150 events. What was the highlight of your golfing career? Oh, wow. It's a tough one. I never won on the LAT, which was which looking back is, is a shame, really. But then I didn't give myself enough opportunities. I think 
you've got to put yourself in that final group or in the last few pairings more often. And I probably didn't do that enough. Um, I sure, like, I think towards the end, it got better just because I was, it was on television more. So I had a memory that I could share with somebody. So I remember the Spanish Open, I hold my final shot on the 72nd hole uh, and I couldn't see it because it was, it was a raised green and, and it, it landed, it spun back and it went in and that got caught on television. So it was almost, I could share that with people at home watching, which normally you don't get that. You, 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 they, they're almost looking at the internet, just refreshing, refreshing. So Spanish yeah. Open was, was a, a massive high. Um, and playing in Opens and US Opens, that, that was pretty cool. Playing against just the best players in the world. At, you know, the Open for me is the one and, and to be able to play in front of that. I've been going to Birkdale and going to Lytham and having literally the, the stand and you look back and you know everybody in it, you feel. Like, that's, that's pretty awesome. That's really cool. Um, so is there anything that you would change then looking back on your career? You said that, um, you know, you never won an LET event. Was, is there anything you would have changed in how you approached your game and your practice? Yeah, I, I would have not bogeyed the last hole in the Scottish Open. <laughs> then I would have won it. Uh, so yeah, that, that would have been one. Um, you know, I think I, I, looking back at it, I feel like I played golf at, I don't know if it's a funny time, but when I watched golf on television as a kid, I had Tiger and Annika and they never lost. So you'd never see Tiger shoot 75 last round and lose an event. Every time he needed a putt to make a putt, he'd make it. And I felt Annika was the same. So you became a perfectionist and you, and, and you searched for the perfect swing, like an Adam Scott swing. Whereas I think now... I only had to watch the television last night to to watch the, the golf and, and watch three people in the final group and none of them play great. And then somebody from behind just snatches it from them. And that just didn't seem to happen with the golf I watched on television. So I felt that I would only I was only ever going to win or be well if I was perfect. And that I, you wasn't going to be perfect. So... I think I beat myself up too much to the point that I actually played my way out of a tournament when really I had I had a good enough game to to win a tournament. But I just maybe grew up watching perfection and and now I think well it just doesn't exist <laughs> at all. Yeah. Well psychology is definitely a massive thing in golf, isn't it? It's a very mental game. Yeah, no, it is. And um I think I came through a time where fitness started, you know, psychology started, having a team, caddies got more important. Like everything I feel, I mean, this is all because of Tiger, but I lived through that. And I don't know if I, I benefited from it, but and some, but other times I didn't as well. I think to be, to be part of it now must be really exciting because the glass ceiling is is broken, isn't it? I mean, Tiger broke golf. Bryson's trying to break it again. So, yeah. and it's just everybody's different, and that's absolutely fine. 
So how have things changed on tour then since you first turned pro in 2006? Um, yeah, I mean, like in 2006, 2000, I think my first season would have been 2007 because I got my tour card and, and then started in, like we didn't start till the April, so we started late, but then we played like 28 events. It was insane. You'd pack a bag and you'd just go. You'd go Holland, Germany, Sweden, Norway, Denmark. You know, it was just see you later in seven weeks and you'd just play seven in a row. Um, to the point where you were like, oh, I'm getting a bit tired. I've played that much golf. That, that's that's what I'd like to get back to, um, that type of European-based events. Because um, they decided to move to try and, you know, there was an economic crash in 2010 and they tried to move away from Europe to try and find some money to play for. Um, so it suddenly became a whole year of January to December, but with less events. And I quite liked a condensed season. I liked going April through to November and being really busy. That suited me because that's how I played my amateur golf. I didn't play because I was at school all the time. I didn't actually play much golf between, you know, during school time, kind of September, October through to April. But as soon as May started, like June started, that was me off. So that's, I think, that's why I played quite well to start with on tour. And that's probably why I suffered at the end, because looking back, it was just quite sporadic. Um, in terms of, like, the ability of the players, I think the, that comes in peaks and troughs, really. Like I was saying with the women's game in general, you might get three or four good juniors uh, or county players at Surrey that then come through together like we have done in the England level at the moment. But then you might not have anyone for a while. And, and then somewhere like in Yorkshire might get some good players. And I feel like that happens in, in the ladies game. So at the moment, you know, Denmark's having a bit of a surge with Emily Pedersen, Nicole Brock Larson, um, Nana Madsen, that type of thing. And then Sweden took a dip, which is unusual. So stuff like that happens all the time. Um, I feel like it's it's more professional, and I don't know if that's a good or a bad thing. Um, there's a a lot more uh, quite individual now, whereas it's a little, little bit more. It is friendly. That's not the right wrong word. It's friendly, but it's because you're playing for more money and stuff like that. It just becomes more more serious. So you alluded there to um, county players coming through the England golf setup. You volunteer as a selector for England golf. What sort of qualities are you looking for in players when you're, you know, walking around England golf championships? What what are you looking for in these girls? I think it it depends, kind of age group wise and stuff like that. I think that there needs to be a commitment to what they want to do. I really like. You can tell the ones that know where they want to be, what they want to do. Um, you know, like someone like Georgia Hall. She's so driven. You can see it straight away. Um, I'm looking for that. I'm looking about how they handle themselves on the golf course. Their ability to, to make birdies. You know, everyone can have a bad day. And that's what I say. Like, I don't mind you having a bad day. But I want to see you make the most of your good days. You know, let's how far can you push that needle 
how low can you shoot? Um, and just to not be kind of to scared of going low. I think that would be something that I would encourage everyone to try and do. We all make mistakes. You're going to make a mistake. Obviously, you try and limit your stakes, mistakes, but don't be scared of trying to pull a goal shot off. If you've put the hours in and you've put the practice in, back yourself to pull the shot off. And that's what I'd like to see just in general, probably in the women's game. But but the England golf was great because it, it reminds me of, of what I used to be like, how I used to feel. So... I try and be as approachable as possible, not hide in a bush like a lot of the selectors do. <laughs> I want to talk to the kids after the play. Like, I want to help them play well the next day. How do you shoot a good score and shoot a good score the next day? How do you come back from a bad score? All that type of things. Like, at the end of the day, if they shoot good scores, they're going to get picked. It's just the way it is. It, people say your face has got a fit. No, your score's got a fit at the end of the day. And that's what I tell them. So, but equally, if you shoot 82 or 70, I'm still going to talk to you like a normal person because golf can't define you. And, and that's, I think that's what I've noticed a lot more at a younger level. They're becoming a golfer so early now. Whereas I didn't really become a golfer until I was about 21. Whereas now they're like 12 and, and they're golfers. So what do you think the effects of that are? Do you think that can be beneficial to people in the sense that they know where they want to go and they're driven to achieve that? Or do you think they can end up being pushed too early, too young? Very much depends on the person. I mean, you, there's, a, there's a lot of success stories that have um decided very early on that that's what they want to do and if you speak to the, the the best they don't have a plan b georgia hall charlie hall i even saw like an eddie pepperell thing he was like i didn't have a plan b um <laughs> tiger woods if you look at the documentaries on him there was no plan b um but the 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 kid or whatever it needs to be there plan a not someone else's plan a i.e parents or and it also that you know there's a lot of people that blow hot air up some people's asses stroke which and 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 they aren't good enough do you know what i mean like there's a very there's very few that that are really going to be good enough um so i would always encourage people to stay on at school just to give you a more rounded life to make you appreciate golf. And I, I, I do see um, some kids that get lost, get totally lost. You know, they, they quit school at 16 and they're forever wondering what their mates are doing at college type thing. So I would encourage people to at least try and stay in a, in a friendship group and, and school as long as possible, but equally some people want to be on their own. It's really the personality you can see. It's almost the personality you can see which suits somebody that steps away and just practices, 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 and the ones that stay on, go to college at university, um, like in America, for instance. And, and there's been successes both ways. But um, yeah, in answer to your question, I wouldn't, wouldn't limit everything at such a young age. I would still try and keep your options open for longer than even you think. 
And um, you obviously went on to study at Loughborough. Was it sports science that you studied there? Um, yeah, how, of course it was. <laughs> how do you think um, that, you know, positively impacted you? You've obviously had a successful career on the LET, but you're now working as a pundit analysing golf. How has that degree benefited you throughout your life? Loughborough was the best three years of my life. With, without doubt, and I've had a good life. Um, I've still got all my mates from there, uh, still keeping contact with them. Um, but did it, I think it affected my golf career in a kind of negative way, maybe. Um, I don't know, I feel like maybe if I'd have gone to an American college, I might have been better at golf. Um, and I would have been out in America and learned about America and been more comfortable about going to America and playing on the LPGA and all that lot. So would I swap it now? No, no, I wouldn't. You know, I wouldn't at all. We all make choices in life. And I think for golf, maybe Loughborough wasn't the best. You know, in all fairness, you see the weather now, it's snowing outside so you think Arizona in February or Loughborough in February there's not really much to choose from I mean in terms of like the sports science and stuff I got exposed to the my strength and conditioning um person there was unreal like she was brilliant but I lived by my like not by myself obviously live with my mates and I was cooking my own food and I didn't drink as much as most but I drank and I'd lived the life um but as it helped now, 100%, yeah. you know, 100%. It's it's made me more confident about speaking in front of people, preparing, preparing for interviews, um, writing proposals, um, the, the, my connections. Like my agent is a guy I sat next to in, in sports science. Wow. So, yeah, like in that way, it's, it's really helping at the moment. Um, and I'm sure it's like my best career, but sorry, my best year as an amateur was my final year as a, as a Loughborough, a third year, which shouldn't correlate with dissertations and, and exams and pressure, but, but it did. So I was somebody that quite liked an alternative so I could switch off from golf. Maybe when I became a professional, it became all about golf. And that might have been why, and though I was successful, maybe not quite as successful as I would have liked to have been, because I perform better when I've got something else to, you know, think about. So what was that transition like for you then from playing professional tour events week in, week out, to then being off the golf course, you know, behind a camera, sitting in a studio? How did that feel? Well, I mean, I always made the weekend, which was a bonus. Didn't have to worry about making the cut. <laughs> I was getting paid for four days' work, so that was nice. Um, it was a transition which I planned for, so I did a little bit of work with American Golf that got me on Sky Sports in to do one to do the major, the A and A Inspirational, in, probably in about seventeen, two thousand seventeen, maybe sixteen. Did it, liked it. Thought, oh, that was all right. Um, I'd been coaching like players on the range, like at tournaments, people would be asking me for advice, putting advice, all sorts. So I was starting to kind of get distracted 
I think I'd applied for a job actually with England Golf. Uh, weirdly, I think I don't know what year it was, 15 or 16, I applied for a job at England Golf, handed my um resume in like on the Wednesday and came fifth or something on the Sunday and earned half the wages that I would have earned during England golf. And people were like, what are you doing? So you've just earned half a salary right there. <laughs> so I was already starting to think, right, I need to start planning for when I finish. I want to finish on my terms. So, um, yeah, people think this kind of like, oh, I just stopped golf and then just went into a studio. It, it didn't. Like I've got a few mates that are in the TV industry that you've probably seen on my social media that have sat me down, taught me how to speak in front of a camera, what to wear, where to look, what to say, everything. So um, this was a planned move. And also... I love golf. Like I am a golf geek. Um, you, there'll be very few people. Actually, sport in general. Like you need me on a sports quiz because I'm good at that type of thing. Everything else I'll struggle with. Um, so yeah, a lot of players aren't. You know, a lot of players don't really care too much about anybody else. Probably why they're so good. But I did. I looked into all sorts. Watched a lot of golf wanted to know how I did what I did in my golf swing. Um, so yeah, it, it was a, it was a calculated move, but one that I wanted to do as well. So probably took me about three years to plan and finally, finally do it. So one of my favorite moments of you on TV is when you got into the Red Sea at Royal Green. <laughs> how on earth did that come about? Yeah. So I mean, what's quite cool about working on the LOT is there's a little bit more license because we're such a small group um, and we're still trying stuff. Like if we're still trying to get Shot Tracer to work. Everything's a little bit on a budget, but that also means that access and player access and just doing random things is just allowed. So um, we kind of decided early on in the season that we were going to do a little bit of, they'd, they'd put me in front of a camera and said, explain this hole in like 30 seconds. And I I do a lot of work with how did I do and golf a lot. So I do that a lot, like a couple of days a week, I am doing that type of thing. And with golf a lot, we make up stuff like that. We, we're not very well planned because we're quite a small company in that respect. They're massive in the how did I do. But in terms of being a golf club reviewer, um, I'm quite new to it all. So we just kind of go, let's try this and let's do that. And it was a similar thing um, in Saudi. So the guy that works comes along and does a lot some of the video with me he is an eccentric German guy he's brilliant <laughs> right but he's worked for like MTV and stuff like that so wow. he doesn't just do golf he does other stuff as well back when he's when he's at home so he's called Helga so um he said to me right describe this hole so I said well you stand on the tee and if it's that windy you've basically got to aim at those rocks and the wind will blow it across and it'll land on the green so he said well let's let's show the line shall we and I was like yeah cool like I'll even I try to get in the sea and you know get my swimming costume on and all that type of stuff 
And he was like, yes, get in the sea, like in a German accent. I was like, what? He goes, do it, do it. So, so we did it. Obviously, couldn't wear a swimming costume. One didn't want to wear one on national television or international television. But um, it's funny because a few of the players watched it that afternoon and they'd been out in the morning and they were like, Sophie, that is not the line on the 16th. Like you don't have to aim in the sea. And then they played it in the afternoon with the strong wind. And that is the exact line that you have to hit into the sea. So, yeah, it's just trying to describe a whole and what these players are seeing and feeling. And yeah, I suppose, why not, eh? Yeah, well, it's a good way. It's certainly entertaining for the viewers. Yeah, it's entertaining, I suppose. And it's fun for me to do it. It's something different. Yeah, exactly. Well, it's better than... Yeah, just standing on the tee and just explaining the whole, it's a bit more exciting, isn't it? Yeah, you need to, we need to get across why this hole is difficult. Pro golfers do not like hitting towards water. Nobody does. But no. in order to pull this shot off, that is what you're going to have to do. Because if you don't, the wind pushes it, you miss the green, and you're actually in a terrible spot down the right-hand side in a bunker. So this is a shot that you have to actually, like, to take it on really and that's what we were trying to get across so you mentioned um during that segment that um you know there's not many people covering ladies european tour events we're seeing more coverage now of women's golf on tv and sky broadcast some of the rose ladies series events last year what sort of responsibility do you think broadcasters have in terms of promoting women's golf and you know, having more girls being able to watch women on TV and aspire to be like them? Yeah, I mean, a huge responsibility. And I mean, I know I do work for Sky, so <laughs> I sound biased, but I've been impressed by them in the last year especially with their drive for equality across the board. Um, you know, with the Black Lives Matter, pushing women's golf, uh, women's sport in general. Now, if we judge um, it just on ratings all the time, then I can understand why people don't want to show it on TV because it's all about the cash and men bring in more money, so that's why they need to be more on TV. It is, but you've got to give the women's side a chance. You've got to put it in the shot window for somebody to actually watch. So the fact that that is now happening is great. And I think it's equally as important for the likes of Justin Rose to stand up for women's golf. You, you see it in um, tennis with Andy Murray. He's amazing at it. And I think Justin has... Something just hit home with him. Like during lockdown, him and his wife, Kate, read a news article. That was it. And, was, and, and just looked at their two children. And, and Kate's a bit of a sport, sportswoman in her own right type thing. And she was just like, this isn't right. We've got a boy and a girl. And I'm looking at the boy saying, you're going to have more opportunities than the girl just because you're a boy. And um, I think Justin was shocked at how big the Rosalie Ladies series got. It was very organic and it grew massively and and it got people talking and it got other men talking and supporting us. So I have never not had support from men's golfers, like pro golfers, 
I've got a few mates that play on the men's tour. They know how hard we work. They know we work the same as them, but and we pay the same as them to get to events. But equally, they also are shocked at how little we earn. They already know all this, right? And they they've got an empathy for you. Um, but now there's a, they're actually speaking out, which is huge. Like they don't, you don't get discrimination from anybody on the men's tour. They don't look at you like, oh, she's a woman. They do not. But it needs to be on a bigger, bigger like scale. Um, so, yeah, it, it's starting. It just needs to keep going. I mean, I don't think a pandemic helped it at all. <laughs> but in a way, it's helped golf because, um, yeah, golf is still going ahead. And hopefully when things get back in March, April, when things start open up, golf will be one of the first things to open up. So, um yeah, it's hopefully we can start making the most of it. But yeah, more people talking about it in a positive way and getting it on the screen more is definitely going to help. You know, you said that COVID didn't necessarily benefit women's golf, but obviously we did get the Rose Ladies series out of it. And hopefully that's something that can continue going forwards. But how do you think we get more young girls involved in golf in the first place? I think family environments at golf clubs are going to really help. If you go over to Sweden, the golf course is a very inviting area. The, the kids go with their mum and dad and grandparents. And, and, there's, and in Sweden, guess what? Like loads more girls play golf. It's, it's about 40%, I think, over there that play. So it's, uh, they've got a good model. Also... They don't play golf during the winter, right? So, yeah. Oh, we pay a whole year membership and we expect to play all the time. And I think, in order to encourage youngsters, girls in particular, I can see them quite enjoying being on a golf course in September, May, August, January, not so much, you know? So it's, is how we introduce them to it. You know, going to a driving range in January when it's freezing cold, not so much. Going in August, yeah, 100%. So Sweden don't play for five or six months of the year at least. So they get they just basically treat it as a seasonal sport. That's why I think that it helps them especially. And there's a retention of, I think you, you'll see a lot of girls with their dads at golf. You, you see it until about the age of 11 or 12, and then it drops off because hanging around with dad's not cool anymore. Other stuff starts happening. Um, you know, I stopped a lot of my um, sport at school when I was that age, 12, 13, because my mates stopped. That was it. And I was sporty. So it's how do we keep the girls in groups together? I think that's key for me. Um, so that's what I always say when any guy or mostly it's men bring their daughters for lessons. First thing I say, does anyone else play? Why don't you get so-and-so at school to start playing with you? If she's your best friend, try and get... I think guy, lads are a lot easier doing things by themselves and there's loads of lads at the golf club normally. Whereas girls aren't as good at doing stuff by themselves and there isn't as many girls at the golf club. So we have to try and keep these little groups together um, and make golf courses just a little bit more 
I, I think golf clubs would like to be more family, you know, orientated. I don't think once you get there, it's not that scary a place, but the whole perception of it is quite scary. So, yeah, I would like to see it more. Like I used to go to a sports club with my family and it was great. And I would like to see a golf club more like that. Well, we um, we were talking earlier before we started the interview about the weather at the moment. It's currently snowing outdoors and the lockdown and how, you know, it's even if golf courses were open, it just wouldn't be very inviting. Um, how have you found the past year with all the various lockdowns? And I imagine that, you know, you've had to cancel quite a lot of lessons and there's not been as many broadcasts. What has it been like for you personally? Uh, yes, yeah, it's, it's it's a funny one when you're trying to get a career kind of up and running, and you feel like you might be getting somewhere, and then suddenly, last like last lot the first lockdown was hard because the weather was so good that was annoying. Yeah, um, and also you had no idea how golf was going to bounce back. Like I, you know, at one point I thought, you know, professional golf would be cancelled all year. I'm not going to work like for Sky all year I'm not going to broadcast for the LET wow like what do I do um and then suddenly June the first hit and I've never been busier so pretty much this 12 months I've almost had six months off and six months working every hour available <laughs> so I feel like a seasonal worker to the, <laughs> to the extreme um I didn't I think I did I did know how important golf was to my mental health, which is weird because on tour it was not good for my mental health. <laughs> but um when it, when I came off tour, I realized that golf was good for my mental health. Going out for nine holes, switching off, going out with your mates for 18. I still play a lot of golf because I enjoy how that makes me feel, going out for a walk, having a chat, being a bit competitive. Everything which you have to do during lockdown at the moment is like, you know, go out, have a walk with your mate, have a chat and have a coffee or whatever it is. That's golf. Like, that's why I can't understand why it's not allowed. So that's why I would encourage people to get into it when this is all over, because there's not going to be many things you are allowed to do. And you're ticking a lot of boxes doing golf. You've got a little bit of a competitive element in there, which is great. It's going to get you, it's going to get you thinking because you've got to think your way around a golf course. Um, yeah, so that's, I think mentally it's affected me financially. It's not ideal. It's far from ideal, but I'm, I, I'm okay financially. It's not that, um, but that's why I started to do the volunteering at the NHS because I just needed to get outside. Like I am, I didn't realize how much of an outdoor person I was and I do like speaking to people. So I started volunteering at the vaccine center in January. And hey, being in a car park for six hours, freezing. I never knew it was so fun. <laughs> so um, it's good then that you've managed to find something that you enjoy to do during the lockdown. Um, how does it feel as well knowing that you're helping people, helping to combat the pandemic and return to what might eventually be normal life? Yeah, I mean, I joke with my friends that I'm I'm off to save lives, but I mean, it's, I'm not jabbing. I'm literally stood in a car park or a meet and greet, um, telling them, "Can you wash your hands and wear a mask?" So, yeah, um, it's more, it's more just 
getting some structure back in like I spoke earlier like when I've got structure in my life I perform better and so the structure of having to be there at a certain time working to a certain time that's really helped um and yeah I suppose it's a positive like it's there's been a lot of negatives going on with how we've handled this pandemic but I do think so far so good with the vaccinations and it seems to be we're at the forefront of it nearly in the world I would say so that's quite cool to be a part of that but yeah but I mean I'm I mean, the very, very smallest part. It's it's helped. I think it's helped me as much as the people that I speak to, which has helped them. You know, some of them have not been out of the house since March. So I suppose speaking to somebody a bit different, it's maybe helped them. But yeah, very, very small cog in the uh, vaccination drive. I'm sure it's much more important than you think, directing people to where they need to go, otherwise they'd never have to get there. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I've got to ask you the classic question then, Sophie. You said, um, you know, golf's such a good social sport and you enjoy being able to play with your mates. What would be your dream mm-hmm. for ball? Oh, anyone at the minute. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just to see three people would be a bonus, wouldn't it? Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, everyone always, like, you get this all the time and I, I never go far away from, like, Tiger is is the one really I'd probably put thing is then it's like if you put Rory in there and then you put like Annika it becomes a very intimidating ball ball so I'd kind of think I just want to watch if I did that um so yeah kind of honestly now it's seeing seeing my mates again um so me and three girlfriends went um we did a pro on in Scotland kind of a year well be a year and a half ago now and it was the first time any of us had done a girls' trip golfing. We'd all played with lads, but we'd never done a girls' trip golfing. And we had one book for Portugal that got cancelled in March. Then we had another one booked at the Belfry that got cancelled. So, um, yeah, we're all just quite keen to just get together, the three of us, and um, switch off, play a bit of golf and have a bit of a laugh. So quite nice two of us went to Leeds University two of us went to Loughborough so we have a little bit of competition healthy rivalry but yeah uh, literally at the moment it's my free it's free girlfriends <laughs> like, yeah that's it so who do you go with on your um on your girls golfing trips then um it's Sarah off Sky Sports so Sarah Sturk Georgia Bingham who was talk sport well formerly talk sport she's giving it up now and uh, Nagga Monchetti who's on BBC so uh, it's normally me and Sarah because we're Loughborough against the other two um but yeah so it's quite nice it's just like a good bit of fun and uh, they're all good golfers so uh yeah and very competitive which is good yeah. work hard and play hard yeah it's good is there a is there a clear winner or is it generally quite competitive uh Naga's pretty competitive, really competitive. Georgie's not so much. She's quite blasé. Um, and Sarah is like the silent assassin. She's all sweet and innocent. And then the next thing you know, she's made a bird in that eagle. And it's like, woof, here we go. So, <laughs> oh, yeah. I think good. Naga probably plays the most. Georgie's a close second now. Georgie plays a lot of golf. So Naga and Georgie play a lot. And Sarah... Um, normally because she's traveling so much with golf doesn't 
get to play as much, but she's handy. She played from a young age, I think. So. Uh, it's good though. It's nice to see that progression from when you started with county golf and not necessarily having that many friends to hmm. progressing and now you're getting on fun girls' golf trips. It's really nice to see that. Yeah, it's nice that I finally, yeah, get on well with girls, I suppose. So, yeah, um, I'm used to going on. I used to, but the thing is, I've played all my golf with lads. I've never really known much difference. So I suppose now, you know, I did a couple of games when we were allowed to with, with my girlfriends, be it off tour or university, and started to just enjoy it more. Yeah. Well, I really appreciate you talking to me, Sophie. Um, who would you like to see interviewed on the podcast next? Is there anyone you'd like to put in the hot seat? Oh, I don't know. Um, what, what's your, what would you know? I think it's, it'd be quite cool to maybe speak to somebody like, I don't know, like a woman caddy. Do you know, like somebody in a world which you wouldn't expect, yeah. stuff like that. Yeah. Um, I think... Yeah, some somebody in a, a woman in a man's world in golf. I think that's quite cool. I really enjoyed that chat with Sophie. And she's got me thinking about female caddies. What a great idea, but sadly one that I can't now pretend is my own. If there are any female caddies out there who would love to tell me all about trying to succeed in a man's world, then reach out to me. And thank you to you for listening. If you like what you heard, subscribe, rate the podcast and give it a five-star review. Keep listening for new episodes of the Women's Golf Podcast with me, Sarah Wilmore.